hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. This is from John Guvia. He sent this to me himself. Why do the nations rage? Of the nation's rage. What a terrific piece. And I can tell you, even though many of the comments here on America Out Loud McCullough Report and the platform overall are regarding United States of America, we recognize that you're an international audience and our comments apply all over the world. We know what's going on is a worldwide crisis. 
Why do the nations rage? Brings all the countries in. I can tell you as an American, I feel even a greater responsibility to do what's right because so many nations rely on the United States as a beacon of freedom, uh, a beacon of truth, a uh, really a, a lighthouse for, uh, for democracy and an example for democracy and the protection of civil liberties. And, and so many of us in America now are in a state of an emergency uh, for the last three years, not about a virus or not about a vaccine, but it's really about civil liberties. Have a great show for you today. I'm going to dedicate the entire backside to the McCullough Report to uh, an exclusive interview with Sasha Ledipova. She is a pharmaceutical executive uh, who is now an independent investigator. And she is going to really enlighten us about where did these vaccines come from? Messenger RNA vaccines will focus on who are the manufacturers, who are the suppliers, uh, how this is connected to the US military. I never understood that the Department of Defense is the developer, the curator of the vaccines, that the Department of Defense actually holds material possession and responsibility for the vaccines all the way to the delivery until they get injected into someone's arm. It is a US military operation. And that means that the US FDA, the CDC, all these other activities in many sense are theater. They're sham operations. The military doesn't need any FDA approval of anything. This is a US military operation. And similarly, it's a military operation going in uh, on uh, worldwide in your countries as well. I imagine the same type of similar operations are going on. You're going to hear it exclusively. And then you're also going to hear about hot lots. And that is what what is it about certain lots of uh, vaccine product that make them so lethal and other ones so benign? Uh, Ladipova has done the original analyses. Uh, she's a contributor to Trial Site News. If you ever want to really delve in and get the data yourself, go to Trial Site News and look her up, Sasha Ladipova. She's terrific. So glad to have her on the program. Uh, and uh, we'll move right now to the backside. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Well, you're hearing the news about the convergence of influenza, respiratory syncytial virus, and now SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, hitting at the same time in some households. Uh, most of these conditions are mild, but they are bothersome. People have fever, cough, congestion, uh, respiratory symptoms, and one of the best ways to safeguard your home is with the Genesis Fogger. The Genesis Fogger uses HOCL, that is a safe disinfectant. Uh, it is virucidal. It kills the virus in the air and on surfaces. It creates a dry mist. You can use it to sterilize certain rooms, sterilize bathrooms particularly, and I think every household should have it. So go to America Out Loud website, go to the banner bar and click on Genesis Fogger to get a discount on your purchase. And you're gonna need it because the first purchase involves the uh, unit itself, and then you'll get a box of the liquid that's used inside. It's diluted in water, and that's basically the supply. And you're given a, a, a real good number of bottles that'll last you a long time. But go ahead and pick up the discount on the first purchase when you go to our banner bar on America Out Loud, and that's the Genesis Fogger. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? 
Well, now there is, and it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a povidone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out cofixrx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at cofixrx.com. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. I can tell you, one of the greatest pathophysiologic drivers for tiredness and fatigue during the day is poor quality sleep at night. People always focus on how long they slept, but they never think about the quality. And to improve the quality, there's a terrific product. That's the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement. And what I tell friends and family and patients is take it every night consistently. Uh, it comes in a continue, like a, a convenient bioabsorbable gel pack uh, take it right before you go to bed, take the gel pack, brush your teeth, go to bed. Its effects are nearly instantaneous and patients get a well-rested sleep continuously day after day, week after week, month after month. And then that daytime tiredness and fatigue melts away when there's a greater restful sleep the night before. So give it a try. Go to uh, healthycell.com and in the promotional code, type in out loud for 20% off your order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I've got a special guest and I've been waiting to get her on the program for so long. And I tell you what, she has red hot information. Probably the most important issue that's in front of everybody who's taken one of the vaccines. And what we're going to get into is an answer to, I think, one of the most fundamental questions. The hardest question that Joe Rogan asked me is that why do some people have problems with the vaccines and others don't? Our guest is Dr. Alexandria Ladipova, who um, uh, received her undergraduate education in the Ukraine. And then received a, a master's of business administration at Dartmouth. So um, she didn't receive a doctoral degree, but she's worked in the pharmaceutical industry as uh, an executive. And uh, now 
is uh, a freelance analyst. And she's done, I think, the most important analysis, and that is on uh, the lot variability. Mm-hmm. Sasha, welcome to the McCullough Report. Uh, thank you, Dr. McCullough. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm really glad to uh, speak to your audience and uh, discuss the results of my uh, over a year-long analysis. Okay, so to set the stage, recently the Zogby survey company comes out and they, they do what is looks like a representative survey and uh, of people out there. Two-thirds of people took the vaccine, a third didn't. But of the two-thirds that take the vaccine, 15% have some new medical problem and they regret taking the vaccine. But that means 85% are fine. Second piece of information, the CDC under court order has to release the V-safe data, uh, the self-reported data that people have on their cell phones um, uh, which they electively do. You take a vaccine, they ask you to, to do V-safe, and they did it. Uh, the CDC didn't want to release that to the public. Uh, Aaron Siri, the attorney, forces them to release it to the NGO ICANN. ICANN puts it up on their server and they analyze it. And they find that uh, between 7 and 8% of people who take the vaccine, something bad happens and they have to go to an ER, an urgent care, be hospitalized, Okay, so that piece of information is out there. And then we have um, the peer-reviewed literature, a thousand peer-reviewed literature papers now on fatal and non-fatal vaccine injuries. And then we have the safety databases, uh, the VAERS Vaccine Universal Event Reporting System, the UK Yellow Card System, the EU UDRA System, the WHO VigiSafe System, and there's actually 39 total safety uh, systems. It's all summarized in the World Council for Health report uh, on pharmacovigilance for the vaccines. And they're all pointing to the same observation, that there's a proportion of patients who take the vaccines, and it appears as if nothing happens. And that proportion is the majority, and thank goodness. But there is a real minority where they take the vaccines and something happens, including uh, serious injuries and deaths. So with that backdrop, let's start out with um, what you've what you've analyzed with respect to the companies and who makes these vaccines, and walk us through uh, how a COVID nineteen vaccine is made. And and I think for simplicity's sake, why don't we just stick with the messenger RNA vaccines? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um- that's exactly right. So the the first thing I did when I became uh, alarmed by um, the actions of uh, regulatory authorities, especially with respect to suppression of hydroxychloroquine and other early treatments, um, as a professional, I was extremely alarmed by this. And I started looking into this issue much more closely. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a private citizen. I, I only have access to VAERS, uh, as everyone else does. And so that's where I went to look. And um, I wanted to specifically look at the um, VAERS reports by manufacturing lot numbers. Uh, that information exists in VAERS and no other, none of these other d- databases that you mentioned contain this information. Um, so uh, my analysis was to look at adverse events and deaths reported for these mRNA shots uh, per lot number. Uh, as you you know, probably understand, it's common sense for everyone to know that um, a lot of something mass-produced, including drugs, food, or beverage, 
should always look about the same. If you buy aspirin today in a pharmacy, um, next month when you buy the same bottle of aspirin, it should have the same uh, performance uh, about safety and efficacy as you expect from this product. As, as you know, as, you, as physicians know, as consumers know. Uh, so what we are supposed to see uh, when we look at adverse events and deaths by lot number is a straight line across and as close to zero as possible as far as the adverse events and deaths. And that that's called safe, effective, and well-manufactured product. Product manufactured according to good manufacturing practices, which is a set of laws in the United States covered uh, covered by uh, Code of Federal Regulation. So actually very, very extensive. Uh, and so to, to do that, I looked at the flu vaccines, which, which is very widely administered in the United States. About 50% of the population gets them every year. It's a wide variety of people, children and older um, adults. Um, and so that's a good comparator. And when I looked at the flu vaccines, they looked as expected. They looked at a, as a, you know, all the lots looked as a line across the bottom of the, of the graph close to zero. The, the maximum we ever found and this is spanning 20, 30 years of data in VAERS, was uh, 37 reports, uh, serious uh, adverse event reports for a lot. And uh, there were, you know, very, you know, probably a couple of deaths. And the deaths were very, very few and far in between. Not every lot had them. Uh, the, you know, really just, you know, very rare occurrence, uh, you could say. And, the, and again, flu vaccines are administered in millions and millions of doses, half of population of the U.S. every year. Uh, so that that was as expected. And then when I looked at these mRNA shots, well, at the time it was also contained Janssen. It's barely used today. Um, we looked, you know, the picture looked extremely, extremely alarming. Uh, the range of the adverse events was, uh, you know, some lots had maybe three to five and some lots had five to six thousand. So the variation by thousands of times was absolutely abnormal, completely not expected from a good, good manufacturing practice produced product. And so that answer was right away that these products are not produced to good manufacturing practices, something very wrong is going with this manufacturing. Um, I then started, you know, this research, you know, continued this research for a year, I wrote letters. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson used my um, data in one of his letters to FDA, CDC manufacturers, which still remains unanswered. Um, you know, asking questions why this data looks this way. We also found uh, very abnormal patterns for uh, based on geography. Uh, there were clustering of lots with really bad performance, really bad set of adverse events and deaths. Uh, some lots have uh, several hundred deaths in one lot, which is just incredible. Uh, the data looks uh, also really bad when you look uh, geographically by each state in the United States. For example, states like South Dakota and Kentucky look like a death zone. Um, they each have, you know, over 30 deaths per 100,000 vaccinated people. That's just VAERS, and you know it's very underreported. Um, and uh, also there are lots that have um, dozens of deaths in them in those states. And again, I do not believe that this is not known to health authorities in those states. And any lot of anything that produces, you know, even a couple of deaths, five deaths, is immediately suspect for removal from the market, recall. And those recalls never happened. 
In fact, uh, I found that on January 18th, 2021, so just a couple of weeks after a full rollout of uh, these mRNA and DNA vaccines in the United States, uh, the uh, Health Authority of Orange County, California, uh, accidentally did their job and they found uh, a lot of Moderna uh, that had abnormal number of, they call it, they call it allergic reactions. And they said that we're pausing, you know, we're pausing injections from this lot. Uh, and this was identified in numerous uh, news reports, including even on CNN. Uh, they, 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 after a very brief investigation, seems like nothing was done. The lot continued to be distributed all over the United States until end of March when it uh, ran out. And it resulted ultimately in about 3,500 serious adverse events and uh, 60 deaths across the United States. So this is after it was flagged by a county health department. After it was flagged by a county health department, it continued to be distributed all over the United States and resulted in at least 60 deaths. So um, that is an extremely alarming finding and um, also, of course, points to intentional acts. But, um, you know, the question is, how is these vaccines made? How are they manufactured? You know, who makes them? Uh, you know, that was a much longer investigation. And ultimately, you know, I'll give you a short summary of this. Um, these products are uh, made by a consortium of companies. Uh, majority of this consortium is kind of a hidden to the public, kind of an, like an iceberg. What you see is uh, Pfizer and Moderna and Janssen being advertised everywhere as manufacturers of these products. Well, in reality is it's a, a, a consortium of uh, traditional and non-traditional suppliers to the Department of Defense. Uh, and uh, this consortium has been put in place over a long period of time, I have contracts going back to at least 2012. Uh, these are uh, millions, you know, they've established millions of square feet of manufacturing capacity, equipment, supplies, assays, kits, staff, um, you know, infrastructure, security systems, logistics, and so forth to enable manufacturing of these kinds of products. And those are the companies that are making them. Pfizer and Moderna and Janssen are involved somewhat in some pieces of it. But uh, the the entire product is made in this sort of opaque black box DOD, completely controlled by the Department of Defense um, set of contracts and regulations and, and rules that these, these guys have to comply with. Uh, and so they're producing, you know, something that cannot be traced. And uh, today there is no clarity at all about the manufacturing process. Uh, obviously, it's broken. Obviously, it's producing bad product um, and it, very inconsistent product. And, um, you know, these these questions remain unanswered. So so the raw material suppliers uh, and, and intermediate vendors are not good manufacturing practice compliant, nor are Pfizer and Moderna really, because the entire chain needs to be compliant for it to be a compliant product. Sasha, can you name some of these companies involved? Yeah, so... so the companies include, um, uh, for example, Emergent Biosolutions. That's a that's a you know long time, long time uh, supplier to the Department of Defense, and they're exclusive uh, manufacturer of anthrax vaccine, for example, which has exact same issues. It's just it's not forced on every mm -hmm. uh, person on the globe. It was just forced on our uh, armed forces for a while. 
um, but they have exact same non-compliance as they did for years, and they are involved in manufacturing of these products. Uh, there is uh, uh, the company that's called, uh, for example, Ology today, and actually they've just restructured it into an even larger entity. It's called National Resilience today. So that's that's a set of manufacturers, again, completely controlled by the Department of Defense. Uh, there is um, uh, uh, the uh, Catalant, for example, another manufacturer that's a supplier to Moderna. Uh, it was recently found completely non-GMP compliant by FDA. FDA wrote up a bunch of uh, observations that are just awful and normally would result, result in the shutdown of a facility until they can be resolved, but nothing happened at all. <laughs> the manufacturing continues as before. Um, the, the consortium also includes uh, places that people probably haven't heard of, which is like place like Snapdragon, which produces um, uh, raw materials, um, Passion, um, Beckton Dickinson, Corning, Grand River, um, SIO2, uh, Texas A&M universities, a lot of universities are involved here as well. Um, and in general, uh, DOD has uh, a consortium that includes hundreds of companies. Um, for one of the consortium, which is called Medical, uh, Chemical, Biological, Radiological, and Nuclear Defense Consortium, includes today 316 companies, universities, um, small, large companies, and nonprofits. Uh, and they're all involved in these kinds of activities. Not all of them are making vaccines, but uh, a lot of these companies involved in this. Um, and none of it is good manufacturing practice compliant, because as I said, you know, there are numerous examples such as Emergent and Catalent, for example, found to be in uh, not in compliance, which means the entire chain is not, uh, but nothing is being done about it by the regulators at all. They just wave it through. They write up a lot of observations, then wave it through and you can continue. So, so, so these manufacturers, I think that our audience would be somewhat disturbed to understand that they're defense contractors or they work in a consortium for the Department of Defense mm -hmm. uh, and that there's so many of them. Who's actually kind of putting it all together and putting it, putting it into a package? Well, so Pfizer and Moderna names are on this. Uh, now, mm -hmm. who puts it in, in, uh, together in the package? That's, that's a very interesting question. According to Operation Warp Speed own uh, PowerPoint presentations, which are public now, uh, the, uh, uh, the, there is an organizational structure org chart uh, and which I found, and it says explicitly that Department of Defense is the chief operating officer of the entire enterprise. Really? And, yes, mm -hmm. and FDA is the chief science officer. So FDA, in fact, is responsible for design, development, clinical trials, and approval of this product. So, of course, nothing can go wrong here, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so so them together with Department of Defense are in charge of this operation. Uh, there's a whole big government layer of uh, clinical trials, supply, manufacturing, distribution, production uh, on top of it. And then pharmas are listed uh, as third layer down. So they're, you know, production facilities, but they're not in charge of it. They get tons of money. But again, they're not in charge of it. The government is. Okay, so let me get the talking point. So the FDA is considered what again? The chief scientific? Chief science advisor. Advisor. Yeah. And then what is the DOD considered? Chief operating officer. When 
the vaccines were done in clinical trials and uh, patients signed up for clinical trials and there was they were randomized to either placebo or active drug were there single use vials or were there multi use vials for both the placebo and the active drug yeah that's a that's a great question so uh, the vials are always multi multi dose even uh, in the randomized trials though I believe even in randomized trials, that was the case. Because um, that would be very unusual. I've, I've been involved in a lot of clinical trials of injectable drugs, and they never do that because they have to be blocked, meaning typically a, a block of like six. And um, uh, we just don't, if they kept going back and injecting, there's, there's too much drug accountability, things that have to be done. It's always single use, single use. I think that's worth investigating a bit in the clinical trials. Yeah, I, I will I will check definitely on that question about clinical trials. The manufacturing documents that I got for Pfizer, and those were leaked from EMA, by the way, mm -hmm. so they, they have never been available, uh, made available uh, to public. They have never been disclosed. And this is what's called chemistry manufacturing and controls package. It's a humongous set of documents that um, is supposed to be submitted to the FDA. Uh, they keep it extremely secret. I got the leaked version of it. Uh, and, and in fact, a, um, a British Medical Journal uh, in interviewed EMA and a lot of other regulators, and they confirmed the authenticity of this package. And EMA never denied that this is, you know, wrong or was, was you know, edited somehow. Um, so they, they confirmed that these are authentic materials. Uh, and so I read them. And there is never mention of a single use vials anywhere. The vials but, were always multi-dose. But I'm looking up at one just to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. For um, uh, I just typed in single use vials and uh, COVID-19 randomized trials. So what the first one comes up is the BBV BBV 152 um, vaccine. Now this is a vaccine. The sponsor is Bharat Biotech International Limited it's from the Indian Council of Medical Research. And uh, it says here that it's being developed to prevent COVID-19 disease. And, uh, and it says here very specifically that uh, it is in a single-use vial. And uh, it gives the exact specs on this. Um, this is a whole, you know, this is a killed uh, whole vaccine. 0 0.5 mLs per dose filled into mm -hmm. single-use glass vials. Um, you know, I bet we could end up talking to a research nurse or somebody, one of the CROs. I, I would be shocked that they, any randomized trial would have nurses going back to the same valve because, uh, you know, you may get patients at different times. They don't, wouldn't get all six in, in a commercially deployed vial. I think it's six uses per vial. Isn't mm -hmm. that true? Yeah. Yeah. So it was five originally, then it became six and there were no changes made to well, here's the here's the um, experience I had. I helped a company with a product called Omantis, and Omantis was a new formulation of an erythrocyte stimulating agent for dialysis patients. And they used single use vials um, in the randomized trials versus placebo, just like these. And there really weren't any safety signals at all. But as soon as they got into clinical practice, they went to multi use vials. And in dialysis centers, the nurses would be, you know, uh, taking a single vial and then drawing out multiple doses and giving to patients. 
And there was a sudden explosion of cardiac arrests in the dialysis unit, like right after they gave the medicine, the patients have a cardiac arrest. And what was found out is that um, uh, in the multi-use vials, just injecting air and then pulling back and the needle, it introduced some uh, various forces that caused what's called hypersulfation of the product and, and tipped off an anaphylactoid reaction. And it got to about 60 of these cardiac arrests. And, and actually the product had to be pulled off the market. The company mm -hmm. voluntarily recalled, they told the FDA. Um, but I, I learned going from single use to multi-use files changes products. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, uh, and, you know, multi-use files are used in some products uh, in the hospital. And, um, but many, many are just single use files. But I think it would be important to, to know that. I want to ask you another question. When you say a lot, a manufacturing lot, how does that correspond to the distributed vials? Yeah, so uh, another great question. So as you as you know, these these companies scaled up very quickly and scaled out very quickly. So the lot size has increased over time fairly uh, rapidly. Lot lot is lot means. Um, a single run of uh, material, and it's it's actually also highly regulated how you define the lot and how you test the lot conformity and so forth. So uh, it's a single production run from from raw materials to intermediate steps. In this case, you first make uh, what's called active substance, which is the mRNA molecule itself, uh, and then you make uh, uh, the product, uh, so drug drug substance. Uh, drug drug product rather sorry so the first it's active substance then you formulate a, a complete drug product which is you take this mRNA uh, molecule which is liquid and you uh, mix it with lipid uh, lipids lipid nanoparticles and then that forms the the drug product as it's defined in the uh, manufacturing documents and so the volume of the active substance went from um, essentially in the lab, uh, people, I mean, I talked to a bunch of researchers who have made it themselves in, in the lab, they make it in a microgram of, mm -hmm. you know, scale. So very, very small. Uh, so it, it went from microgram scale in the lab to today. So first they claimed they made, uh, about 140 liters of the product of which about 40 liters was active substance. Mm. And that was in early 2021. Mm. And uh, then uh, by end of 2021, they claimed around 300 liters of product in a batch or, or a lot. And today, uh, based on the ICANN released uh, lot sizes shipments in the United States, I found lots that exceed that. So they went from about 600 liters to one lot I found 900 liters. Uh, and as far as as far as vials, initially lots were, and they also vary somewhat because the 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 yield varies in the manufacturing, so they they can vary somewhat from from those uh, kind of anchor numbers or target numbers that they're trying to to run. But that nine hundred nine hundred liter lot was twelve million doses, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and. The, the earlier ones were probably something like a million doses, million and a half. It depends because, again, they, they mm. also went with the same vials. They said first divide it into five doses, then divide it into six doses. So it's it's a bit hard to calculate that. But, yeah, so, so they scaled up from essentially microgram scale to now they're claiming nine, 900 liters. Now, for 900 liters, I have 
you know, severe doubts. Uh, what happens with this product is it's, um, you know, mRNA, as you said, it's, it's, it's unstable. It can break. The lipid nanoparticles can break as well. Uh, when you increase the size so much in the batch, the batch kind of sits in the vat. So all this volume of, of liquid sits in the vat. And uh, when you have this large volume of liquid and then lipids in, in water, essentially, it will separate. They also can um, uh, um, kind of stick together and create larger larger blobs. So lipids will, will tend to flow to the top and they also tend to stick to each other into, into blobs, right? And distribute somehow through this liquid volume. And the larger that li liquid volume, the more heterogeneity you're going to have. So uh, then this, this, let's say, 600 liters of this material that has separated some, somehow and, and, you know, there's lipids floating around in, in blobs, that gets filled into 0.45 milliliters little vials. So, of course, you're going to have huge heterogeneity within the lot in the vials. Some vials, probably a lot of them, will be blanks, essentially, duds. Mm -hmm. There will be you know, very little, if any, mRNA in them. And some, because these blobs kind of like, you know, went through and filled uh, filled the vial completely, will have very concentrated mRNA. Then when we get to the, you know, multi-dose and at these vaccination centers, oftentimes completely untrained people, they would have people from fire department, from, you know, nearby taco stand, you know, injecting. It, it was complete mayhem, as you remember, especially mm -hmm. early on. So uh, they will have the, to sit there and prepare manual doses. And the instructions is you add saline, you don't shake it, you kind of invert it very gently because, again, remember, it's a fragile product. Uh, then you draw one dose and then it can sit, the vial can sit for up to six hours outside of the refrigerator or maybe in the fridge, outside of the freezer. And then within those six hours, again, we have lipids and water, potentially they separate. If you s draw the next dose, let's say an hour later, and you draw it from the bottom, you're going to be drawing water. And then when you get to the back of the vial, you will draw concentrated mRNA. So that explains to you why, you know, most people actually are going to be okay because they, they got pretty much water. And then a large percentage of you know, significant percentage of people are not okay. And a lot of them are dead. And that's because they got the real deal in, you know, probably high concentration. So, uh, I mean, Sasha, what I'm understanding is these manufacturing lots are so huge mm -hmm. that when they try to fill the vials, they're not going to get, it's like having a giant, giant pot of soup. You're, and then you're trying to fill little thimbles. You're not going to get the same soup in every thimble because the lots, are, the lots yeah. are so huge. And I'm just reading your response. Uh, and then, then on top of that, within a vial, they introduce air and drawing it out and all the, all the manufacturing, uh, you know, all the handling parts of this um, make it such there's got to be heterogeneity. But I'm, I'm reading here what you said. And you said, uh, based on the most recently available data, 35% of the lots of Pfizer are associated with 80% of the deaths. Mm -hmm. And you said for Moderna, it's 24% of the lots are associated, account for 80% of the deaths. So yes. this lot to lot variation, but the lots are huge. 
And are the lots distributed in a same geographical region or do they end up getting split up all over the place? They tend to be split up all over the place. Um, and unfortunately, so the, 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 the numbers I gave you, this is, this is by lot. But remember, you know, each lot can be Huge. between yeah. a mil million and a half to, you know, we, we found now uh, about 10 lots of Pfizer, which are larger than 4 million doses. So, uh, so that's a lot of vials, and there is huge heter heterogeneity among vials, and that I cannot track because I don't have that data. But, but also, yes. Sasha, I, I just want to clarify one other thing. It's not as if you said, uh, you know, one lot could have a million doses, another lot could have twelve million, but they're not all used, so they right. get distributed. And uh, let's say one pharmacy gets a whole bunch, but there's no customers. There must be a lot of this stuff that gets returned or or gets wasted, right? Absolutely. So the numbers from ICANN that that I'm referring to, um, the, so that was published sometime in in the summer. They uh, got data as of April of this year for the United States, and I counted. You know, so those those numbers were based on shipments. So everything that was shipped in the United States for Pfizer. Uh, I counted at the time as far as uh, administration of vaccines in the United States, and I counted about 100 million extra doses at that point sitting on the shelves. So mm -hmm. we had huge wastage, right? Mm -hmm. the, and we don't know how that also is distributed by geography. In some places, maybe there's uh, everything is used and in some places nothing is used. Um, so we don't know what the usage is, but I can also tell that... Um, you know, as I looked over time and as lots became much larger, also they apparently look safer. So the 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 overall level of deaths, the total levels of deaths and injuries went down in the United States with time. And the only explanation for this is that the usage went time went down dramatically as well. So as you know, the, the vaccination rates are falling, you know, very dramatically. Mm -hmm. The uptake of new boosters is very low. So the only explanation I have for this apparent decline in toxicity is because people people are just not getting injected. This product is very safe when it's not used at all. Yeah. Now, um, uh, so what the listeners are hearing is that if this was just a, an idiosyncratic reaction, you know, people can have an allergic reaction to the flu shot or what have you, it would be and should be randomly distributed across lots. Right? Yes, yes, absolutely. It should be because it is for the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine would have kind of all the same similar, uh, you know, it'd be vials and distribution. I think they use multi-use vials for flu shots too. So, um, uh, so it should be randomly distributed. And you're saying for sure, it's not randomly distributed for no. death in the vaccines for sure. Okay. So with that, what I've been saying is that if people get a lot of degraded material, or like you said, they get essentially no loaded messenger RNA, they can't really have much of a side effect. And the side effects that we're seeing when we do see them, they almost always look like it's due to spike protein, too much spike protein in the wrong part of the body, implying they got a lot of genetic code for the spike protein. I mean, the autopsy studies will show the brain is loaded with spike protein in a fatal case, or the heart is loaded with spike protein. So I've concluded 
that these hot lots, these dangerous lots, must be ones where they were partitioned the right way, or it got maybe the the genetic material got concentrated. Maybe the soup was more concentrated, and the vials got filled with more concentrated soup. Is, is that a reasonable way to think about it? Yes, I I definitely found this uh, statistical relationship in the uh, first um, first thirty three lots that were manufactured for, for Pfizer. I have a lot of details again from those uh, manufacturing documents that were leaked from EMA, and I have um, internal Pfizer tests for uh, batch tests for these um, for these lots, and I found the relationship where the more um, mRNA integrity they 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 had so as we discussed the mRNA is is, a, is fragile it breaks apart it can break into pieces and they have this test for mRNA integrity which tells you how much of the uh, mRNA in the batch conforms to the specification and how much of it is broken pieces and we don't know what they do uh, which in itself is a huge problem and it was actually flagged as major objection by EMA but then they completely disregarded it um but so it's a huge problem there's a, there's a percentage of impurity in the form of broken mrna pieces and what the data showed that the the higher the percentage of the mrna that conforms to the specification meaning the specification that describes you know coding for the spike protein uh the more of it in the batch the more deaths that, for mm -hmm. that batch and so when the product is broken it appears safer mm -hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, it's just either producing fragments or something the body can more easily clear. Now, uh, with this uh, FDA being the science advisor and the DOD being the oper the chief operating officer um, in the EUA contracts, is there any inspections like there would be for quality and impurity with other products? Uh, no, and it appears so for 2020, there were no inspections done by the FDA at all of any manufacturer. They claimed it's because of the COVID and it's dangerous to go and do an in-person inspection. So all they did is accepted uh, paperwork uh, from the manufacturers. And by the way, it's not dangerous to go inspect those facilities. They're largely automated. There are very few people working there. So it, it was never really dangerous to do so. Um, uh, now, FDA claimed for 2020, we cannot possibly do this. We have to just accept what say so from the manufacturer. And they did. And they flagged these things, as you know, as emergency use um, authorization and, and then pushed uh, massive with massive advertising campaign onto the public. Um, now, for 2021, I know uh, some inspections have occurred. And uh, there are uh, numerous reports we've seen for suppliers uh, of Pfizer and Moderna and Janssen being flagged for very, very serious violations. Form, Form 483 issued by the FDA means that you're in serious violation of good manufacturing practices. And in fact, by the observations that we can find, we can tell definitively, you know, this this in normal circumstances would result in stop and, uh, you know, before you can resolve this issue. But they they seem to be doing it as a theater, essentially. They will just go send the send the inspector, inspector will write up observations, but nothing happens. There's no enforcement whatsoever that happens. Now, um, tell us a bit about when people uh, think about this. They've actually heard reports, you know, Japan inspecting the vials, finding debris and re returning it. I mean, that's, I think Pfizer and Moderna have actually had large returns. 
for contaminants. Tell us about debris and contaminants, what the Japanese and others have found. Uh, so the Japanese authority uh, found uh, metal steel, uh, stainless steel uh, flakes. Well, at least that, that's what was reported. And I know that that particular batch was uh, manufactured not by Moderna. It was manufactured by Moderna on behalf of Moderna by a company called Rovi in Spain. It's a Spanish manufacturer. Uh, and um, so that, that was the batch that was returned by the Japanese. Um, the, the Japanese authorities is the only one that I know of that really did anything like this. Um, everybody else uh, seems to just, uh, you know, waving them through without any inspections. The In the United States, so I can tell you by contract, because, the uh, you know, this is a DOD uh, set of suppliers and DOD set of contracts, so uh, then uh, by HHS contract, uh, the vials uh, are property of the government, of the U.S. government, federal government. Uh, so they're property of the Department of Defense and, and U.S. government until they get injected into the person. Mm -hmm. So uh, the distribution of this is not going through the licensed pharmacy distributors who are bound by uh, also a set of regulations called good distribution practices and they have to be licensed and they have to be uh, you know responsible for delivery so, so possession is never take, taken by anybody other than US federal government they hold these vials through the distribution distribution is handled by the department of defense it's again it's a black box uh, and then until they get injected into the person so the hospital never knows and cannot verify and uh, cannot, you know, so they, 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 they essentially get a black box shipment and then they are supposed to inject it into people. As a doctor, you understand how illegal this is. It's, mm -hmm. it's there's, there's no, there's no chain of command of this product outside the government. I guess the department of defense having no. complete control of the chain of command. Um, yeah. This is this is an extraordinary revelation. Now I have to ask you this, and I've seen demonstrations of it. P people initially were making it big deal. It's funny how everyone's dropped this, but about taking an injection and then having magnetism metal stick to the arm and what have uh -huh. you. Is that all just uh, hocus pocus, or uh... there is validity to it? I mean, I've I've uh, I know uh, personally people who have experienced this, so I, I can tell you it, it did happen. Uh, I have, um, uh, there, there, there are a number of colleagues I've talked about, and I personally have looked at their findings under microscope. Um, and uh, some people have, um, you know, some people got possession of the vials, even if it's in a violation of, you know, in the U.S., it's it's violation, and they, you can be, um, you know, they can say, mm -hmm. well, you you are you are stealing government property. Now, right. under the whistleblower protection laws, you actually have, you know, because of your find, you know, doing it as as um, trying to investigate uh, a crime, uh, you you are protected. In outside of the U.S., um, governments are prohibited to test it, but people have been able, you know, doctors and pharmacists have been able to get hold and test it. What they found is a variety of contaminants, both metal, just like mm -hmm. Japanese authorities found, different metals, not just stainless steel, different heavy metals, lead, cobalt, aluminum, uh, even rare metals. Uh, and then they also find a lot of strange shapes, 
particles, blobs, um, and sometimes they find their the, magnetic beads, for example. Magnetic beads are part of the manufacturing, especially at the small scale. They probably not use, they probably switch to another process at the larger scale. But at the small scale early on, the, the magnetic beads are used for RNA purification. Mm-hmm. And the, the they were found in vials and were imaged directly in vials, meaning that during the manufacturing, they did they did not um, get rid of them. They did not clean the, mm-hmm. the vats properly or forgot, you know, they just left over from the manufacturing. And um, those magnetic beads can be injected in the person and you be magnetic there. Okay, so <laughs> that's actually fascinating. So that explains why there was such a big deal with, with magnets sticking to arms early on and then it just faded away yeah. um, later on because there actually were magnetic beads in there. Wow, Sasha, I've learned so much. This has been a very interesting interview. It's also been kind of spooky to uh, to hear all this. Um, let's, let's wrap it up. Do you have any final important things that people need to understand? Um, about two thirds of people have taken the vaccine, a, a third haven't. Um, you know, we've been pounding on safety now for a couple of years, but we, this is the first time we've really done a deeper dive into manufacturing. What else can be learned regarding the manufacturing of these products that's going to be helpful in getting a full understanding of what's going on? Well, until the government comes clean about um, the manufacturing practices around this, uh, y- y- you know, we can't really, we, can't, we cannot say that these products are manufactured as they're described. So even making assumptions that, you know, from the literature and from the research about the mRNA uh, mechanism of action or toxicities, while, you know, they're absolutely valid, I caution because given how badly these products are produced and a very small percentage of these products actually, you know, in my opinion, conform to that label, if at all. So what's being produced is very far from what's being described in um, uh, in specifications from the manufacturers and regulatory documents or scientific literature. And that's a huge problem. We cannot say that there is any um, efficacy, we know there is negative efficacy, meaning that these products hurt more people than they produce any good effect. We know there's a huge number of toxicities, deaths, injury, very horrific injury. And so at this point, I, you know, my personal opinion, this is this is the state of the affairs. We have to stop. We cannot use them and we cannot rely on the government to do anything about it because obviously a long time has gone by and they've done nothing. Um, so, so are these ever are these ever actually the possession of Pfizer or Moderna? Do they actually hold possession, or are they in a sense kind of just a a, a figurehead or 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 a, or a marketing um, mantle for this? I think they're figurehead in marketing. Uh, I I believe they because th- there is a very very complex supply chain. Um, so specifically for Moderna, I know that they, Moderna in Massachusetts, they get um, raw materials from elsewhere. They do some steps of manufacturing in Massachusetts, at Massachusetts plant. And then it sh- it's shipped to um, Catalant for fill and finish. And, and that's under DOD contract. Now, all of those separate entities are also contracted by the DOD. And then the product is delivered to the DOD for distribution 
And as I said, it's property of DOD until it gets injected into the person. So, 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 so Moderna is not distributing it or using private distributors. Actually, the Department of Defense distributes it. The Department of Defense distributes it, or at least holds uh, holds the ownership of it. Maybe they they yeah. order somebody to distribute for them, but they hold the ownership of it. And and is the fill and finish for Pfizer the same way? Is it done by a defense contractor at the end? It could it it can be. Um, uh, I know there are uh, again that's that's not disclosed to the public who exactly does fill and finish. But Pfizer has many um, production lines and production combinations of different facilities where this can be made. So it's hard to say which lot comes from where. Again, we we don't have that material. So Pfizer has a bunch of their own fill finish facilities, but they can also use others. And mm-hmm. also because this goes into the distribution black box, this product is open to falsification, meaning that a, 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 a mislabeled uh, lot or some something else can be introduced. We don't know what happens in the distribution while DOD holds it. DOD is not governed by any good manufacturing practices. They're not a licensed pharmacy distributor. They're not. They don't need to comply with any laws, by the way. Mm. So, and mislabeling has happened. We know specifically they've done it um, in case of uh, several lots that they were trying to push on the U.S. Coast, Coast Guard. And this was found through uh, a court proceeding that they mm-hmm. have mislabeled them. Wow. I can tell you, we're going to have to leave it here. I'm just stunned with what I learned. I think this has been one of the most uh, penetrating interviews so far in the McCullough Report. Sasha Ladipova. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I think we're going to have to pick up on this as we learn more in the next few months. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.